The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. Our show is a health show, a lifestyle show, and an empowerment show rolled into one. Get ready to hear some stories of success, healthy living tips, and suggestions to get motivated and live your best life. Now, here is your host, Ann Beal. Welcome to Living Well with Ann Beal. I have the Beam family here. And the beams um, have been in a worldwide um, kind of a whirlwind kind of emotion going on with everything with your movie coming out and your new book, Miracles from Heaven. And we are actually in their home in Cleburne, Texas, on their land in their beautiful home. And I have Kevin Beam, her husband, who is a veterinarian at Alvarado Veterinary Clinic. Yeah, pleased to be here. Excited. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And Christy. Yes. Um, who is the author of the book that got brave enough and believed in herself enough to write about the events of what happened with her daughter and their family. Mm-hmm. They have truly been through a lot, not just in the last year. Is that when you approached the, how long ago did you approach? Cause you said you went to a book fair. So it was about three years ago that I feel like God laid it on my heart. Um, two and a half maybe years ago that he laid it on my heart to start writing the book. So I started writing a manuscript then. You did. So before you approached anyone. Oh, yes. I had just written the manuscript and just uh, completely just, I thought it was um, for cathartic purposes. I had no idea that, that God had a plan for it. Um, so I just wrote the manuscript and just sat down one day and it just poured from me. Um, and it And it just, evolved and just came out and came out and came out and came out and and it was so um cathartic in the end for me Kevin it was a little different he, he it was a struggle for him to go back and reread and for me to open up some of those wounds that we were so happy to seal and say goodbye to um but it was good and then um a, a, a brilliant amazing um literary agent came into my life and she um just has done some amazing wonderful things with it and then um Hachette, um, came into our lives and they published it and it's gone completely international. Um, we have a Dutch translation, a Portuguese translation. It's in the UK. Um, yeah, you were talking about the books you have over there, this pile of books, all different languages. Yes. I was asking for an English version <laughs> yeah. for me to just glance at during the show because yeah. I forgot mine. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to pick up the wrong language. No. <laughs> yeah, that's so exciting. It is. Now, when you started writing and it was cathartic, um, did you tell him you were doing that or was it just your quiet time? No, I, I told Kevin because it was really crazy the way it all came out. Um, originally God laid it on my heart that I needed to write the book and, or I needed, yeah, to write the book. And so I told him, Kevin, um, but I also told God, um, no, you know, I'm not a writer. That's not really something I do. I'm not going to do that. Um, but then God was pretty serious about his intention for me to do that. So I told Kevin, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. And he kind of asked me why. 
You know, why would you want to go back and do all that? Why would you, why would you open all that hurt and, and sorrow and, and anger and back up? And I thought, I don't really know. Um, and that was it. And he was like, well, good for you. Go do, you know, do it, attack <laughs> yeah. it and kill it. And so I did and attack it yeah. and kill it. And I did and I did it. And I am so grateful that I, that I listened to the Lord's direction and that I was able to get it all out on paper. So you're not someone, Kevin, who normally shares like mm-hmm. openly or like on Facebook or whatever, yeah. all your trials and tribulations. No, I, I um, tend to. To try and kind of, um, you know, certainly have a lot of friends and a lot of close people that have been able to help me, especially through the process of Annabelle, um, the four years or so that she was having so much struggle. Um, I had a lot of wonderful friends and family and um, support, but it wasn't something that um, I was necessarily wanting to go back and revisit. You know, when she was able to be completely healed and she was 100% and she was doing so, so well, I was like, done clean my hands this job is over she's doing great and let's go forward and um and you know i think for christy just the way that we both dealt with this type of such a a life-changing issue in our lives um i kind of tried to deal with it in the moment i guess maybe a little bit more and um and then when it was over i was done and and didn't necessarily want to be able to go back as much and and reflect over some of the things that were so challenging in our lives and were such difficult roads that we went down and and for Christy I think she had the opportunity to to stop and say okay what has really just happened in our life these last few years and and it was a very brave thing for her to do to be able and and say not only do I want to go back through that but I want to open up at this point now to the world which wasn't you know necessarily the intention but just to open up to everyone else to let them know you know what really went on and to let them know what what we were thinking, the things that we struggled through, the, you know, the nights that were incredibly challenging and some of the, you know, some of the things that were also very, very um, rewarding. Um, it's, it's amazing how well she did and how well she was able to get down on paper what our family went through, um, the good and the bad. Uh, but I definitely was just my personality and everything else. It wasn't something that I would have I would have done, but I'm certainly amazed and impressed and excited that she has and she's done it so well. And then just the impact that it's had, not just here, but literally worldwide, the people that have been emailing her and contacting her and letting her know how this story has impacted their lives in such a positive way um, is, it's just so giving for her and maybe in a little bit more selfish way I just wouldn't have been able to to share all that with the uh the world but the fact that she has has just been so amazing the positive um feedback and the and the impact she's been able to have on other people's lives through this story yes it is amazing I mean I know that's why I said earlier today who would have thought right yeah and um when you thought about even to the point where, okay, I will write this, even though I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> I will just do it. Yeah. You know, um, you. it's almost like if you knew ahead of time, I think you would have really not done it. <laughs> right. You would have been like, I always think, you know, if we knew what was really going to happen, yes. I think it would terrify us. Gosh, that is so spot on. That yeah. is so true. Because <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, even yeah. since I met you, Kevin, yeah. and, um, you know, I, I think just as, I think, how long had the book been out? At that point, 
Not not that long. Probably three three months, possibly something like that. Yeah, yeah, not very long at all. It you know, and then you did you know it was going to be worldwide, in every language at that point. Not when it first launched. Um, it, you know, I think UK came in pretty um, quickly after it launched, but then the the other ones came to the table and they, they you know just kept coming to the table, and it's just been so. So amazing to get messages from people all over the world. I don't know what they say because they're in <laughs> different Dutch. languages. Yeah, they're in Dutch and they're in, in you know written in Portuguese and all the and I just I am assuming that there are good things, but um, but the things from people who do uh, communicate in English, like from South Africa and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I've had just some amazing. Um, you know they have translation software now on the computer. I have a friend that speaks Russian, and so he will talk to me quite a bit. I took Russian through college, okay, but really it was because of a guy, not because I really (laughs) – he speaks it very well, and everyone else in the group speaks it very well. But obviously I wasn't as committed to the language because, you know, I didn't do – I took French for nine years, and I did learn that, but not Russian. And so I used the translation all the time on the computer. You just highlight it, and then you go, we'll talk about that. I'll show you how to do that. That's so you can – that way you can read them. I and I have a friend that, in Rome. Yeah. She's from Rome, and so she will speak – You know, she's actually from Italy, mm-hmm. and so she will constantly speak in Italian to me. And I'm thinking, why? Because they all know English as well. <laughs> They do, and they don't speak in English. Okay. Well, and I want people to hear. Now, where were you born, Christy? I was born and raised in Abilene, Texas. You are actually from Texas. Yes. Mm -hmm. Are you from Texas, Kevin? I was born actually in Ohio, and then our family moved to Texas when I was about six months old. So the only recollection I have is of Texas, but I was born in Ohio. You are born in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And your family, in the book, I I know one of your families lived down on the coast or near Corpus Christi. Yes, my family, yes. Yeah, I've got family in Corpus, and then my parents live in Houston. Oh, okay. Well, they're still not very far from the ocean because Galveston's right there. Yes. What a blessing. Abilene is nowhere (laughs) near the ocean. (laughs) No. No, and it's a small town. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a lovely town. It is. It really is. And is your family still there? No, they are all in Wichita Falls, Texas. Really? Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. So your parents don't live close to each other. That no. would be nice if they were. No. But <clears throat> you went to med school, veterinary mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you choose that? Well, we I went to Hardin Simmons um, originally, and that's where Christy and I met there in Abilene, and uh, enjoyed that. Had a great experience there. I played football there, and it was um, a great school for for me. and And I walked out of there with an amazing wife, so that was a a huge blessing. And then I um, I actually have a number of family members that are human doctors, and I originally went to school thinking I was maybe going to go into human medicine, um, and Kind of through a lot of different events um, in my life, I, I um, actually applied to veterinary school and medical school and had more feedback from the medical school than I did from the veterinary school the first year I applied. So it was a big decision for us to make, and Christian and I were dating by that point. And um, the more I was looking into it, the more comfortable I felt in veterinary medicine Um really had loved it. I didn't really know as much about it coming out. A lot of people start off wanting to be a veterinarian from second grade, and I loved animals, and I loved medicine, and I loved the idea of helping people um, and helping animals. And 
so veterinary medicine was something I kind of discovered more and more about when I was in college and was working at a veterinary clinic um, for about two years. Uh, and so at that point, I really decided that was where my passion lie. And I reapplied to veterinary school and was able to get accepted the second year at Texas A&M University. And then I went to um, Texas A&M and graduated from there in 2000. And by then, Christy and I were married. And so she was a school teacher and, and went with me down to College Station. And we were able to find a little rent house there and um, start our life together, had our first daughter, Abby. Uh, she was born my last year there. So she was born in 2000. And so if she was born while you were in med school, mm-hmm. right? While I was in veterinary school, veterinary she was school. born. How yeah. much time did you have to spend with yeah, I Christy's not, <laughs> not much, especially the fourth year. Um, that's our clinical rotations, and so we're gone quite a bit during that time. Um, so it was it was a challenge. Um, we we made it work as we have a lot of things in our lives, and it was a great time. Um, but she was teaching and very busy, very committed to the uh, the kids and Brian, and then eventually I think she was in College Station um, as far as her teaching there, um, and. Then I was, of course, staying super busy in school, but it's life continues to get more and more complicated. At that point in my life, I thought I was busier than I ever could be, and no. it seems like you just keep adding on responsibilities. Yes. So uh, probably looking back, I wasn't as busy then as I am now, but it was a, it was a crazy, hectic, fun, exciting, everything. You know, it was a good time. So we've tried to, hard to enjoy our times together and no matter what else is going on. Um, and so we, we loved being in College Station. We loved A&M, loved the whole experience, and we were ready to head out. So we went from when I graduated, uh, we came straight here, and that's when I started working at Alvarado Veterinary Clinic, which I'm still there now going on 15 years and um, have never left. We just found a home here in the, the Johnson County, and um, – were incredibly welcomed at the clinic that we went to and have seen it grow from a five-doctor practice when I started to 17-doctor oh, practice. 17, yeah. that's right. There's like- yeah, we have interns too. So, yeah, there's 17 doctors there total. So um, have seen a huge change and transformation in, in our veterinary clinic at Alvarado and in the whole the, just the whole region there in Johnson County has been uh, growing as a lot of this whole metroplex area is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so we've been excited to be a part of it, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, and you're a specialist, right? Because you, mm-hmm. um, we actually met, my family met Kevin um, when we were looking for an orthopedic specialist for our wolf. Oh. Um, and so we ended up gladly driving all the way, all the way to Alvarado. And so um, he did amazing work um, to help put her leg back together. And, you know, um, I didn't know that they had specialists for animals. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that you find out. Like, we've had a lot of animals over the years, more than if anyone knows me, you know I've had tons. (laughs) And um, so I should know if they have a specialist. Like, Mm -hmm. do, do they have a heart surgeon for dogs? They have cardiologists. See, there so, you go. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's getting more and more. It is getting more, and 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 the animals in general are kind of coming out of the backyard and and into the bedroom, so to speak, and especially the small animal. Um, our hospital actually does large animal and small animals, so we're we're blessed to be able to work with cattle and horses, and um, you know, but a lot of what we're doing also is small animal, 
and there's been a big transformation and I don't think it's going to stop. I think, uh, you know, animals, we have six dogs of our own and, and we've got cows and things like that too. But the, uh, the dogs are a huge, huge piece of our family. And, uh, there are a lot of people like yourself that when, uh, you know, circumstances arise that there's, you know, broken legs, uh, torn ligaments, various things like that. And they're seeing their animals hurt. They're going to find somebody to, you know, to try and partner up with and try and get these guys fixed. And so, um, I'm a member of North American Academy of Veterinary Orthopedic Surgeons and, uh, do a lot, probably about 85% of what I do is orthopedic work. Um, and we have some interns that do some training there, um, you know, under, uh, with me as far as with the orthopedics and things. And so, uh, we live in an area that, uh, we still see a lot of traumatized dogs. You know, there's a lot of city dogs that's kind of stay in a fenced in backyard. And, um, our area is here is, kind of in a transition zone where there's still a lot of animals that come in kicked by cow, hit by truck, hit by car, uh, hit by boat. We've had some, uh, we've had some kind of crazy combinations of, uh, of ways that these poor guys have traumatized themselves. And so I'm usually tasked with the role of trying to put everything back together again, if possible. And, uh, it's a, it's a huge challenge sometimes, but it's also a lot of fun to see these guys be able and get back up on their feet and, and, uh, Dogs especially, I certainly do cats too, um, and large animal, but the dogs seem to be the one that we see the most orthopedics with, and they're just so rewarding to see them just uh, be able to get back up, and they just want to get better and be able to walk and, and run and play again, and, and usually we're able to help them get that way. So it's, it's, a, it's a very rewarding part of the practice I get to do. Well, one of the things we found about the clinic is that it's so much more affordable than in like Southlake or, you know, these emergency clinics that are, we've been out in the country a long time and the country has been getting smaller and smaller and the city's been catching up and the clinics have changed from big animal, small animal and very Mm -hmm. affordable and reasonable to incredibly outrageously priced. Yes. And so we still try to drive wherever we need to go to get reasonable Mm -hmm. prices. I hope you're there forever. Yeah, it's a. Okay. <laughs> I'm one of the owners there, and it. I mean, it. It tends to be one of our, our major points that we try and make is is that we want to be able and be um, a value. We don't want to be cheap, you know. We don't want to be the least expensive, but we want to be a great value that people feel like they're really getting um, every penny out of that dollar that they're spending because medicine is expensive. Mm-hmm. Whether it's human, whether it's animals, um, we do still offer emergency care at night, and you know, especially. One two o'clock in the morning, trying to find somebody to help out. Oftentimes, the uh, the trade off is is it's going to be extremely expensive. Um, and and I know medicine is expensive, but it is something that we we definitely focus on is what kind of value are we able to offer to our clients. And I think that's one of the reasons. Um, hopefully, along with good medicine and everything else, that has uh, allowed Alvarado Veterinary Clinic to be very successful and keep right. growing uh, to the point that we're at now. So. Well, so wow, you're a school. You were a school teacher. Yes. Okay. Where did you go to? Did you go to Harded Simmons I then did. to become a teacher? I did. So yes. you knew how young that you wanted to be a school teacher. I did. I did. I um, I originally started in college and I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Oh. And then I took poli sci thirteen oh one. That would I do will it. Never ever forget <laughs> that class or that professor and drop that pretty quick. And wow. then started on the path to um, education. So I taught um, five years. I taught 
fifth grade for three years and sixth grade for two years, and then I did the mommy thing. So, so you chose the challenging grades. The, yes. Goodness, fifth and sixth. Though I think you know sixth, seventh mm-hmm. is bad too. So they fifth are. and sixth. Why is it bad? That's not really good. Hard. <laughs> they <are>. Hard. <laughs> they struggle. Yeah. They do. It's they a do. tough age. Yeah. She, she's a reading specialist, so probably never knew when she was specializing in reading as a teacher that uh, going to turn out to be an author. But it was a. Uh, it's kind of always been her passion to try and help kids learn to to read and learn to love to read, like uh, like we our family does and our kids mm-hmm. have and everything. You know, they say that the people that have the greatest vocabulary mm-hmm. and have the greatest references for writing mm-hmm. are readers. Mm-hmm. Because if you think of how many books you have read, you're a big reader, mm-hmm. that would definitely afford you easier. I would think it would be so much easier mm-hmm. because you've seen so many fiction, nonfiction, that you could write that better. Correct. Yes, uh, I someone, agree with that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yes. Okay, so you both, you were a school teacher, and then you became a mom of three. Mm-hmm. So you had Abby, mm-hmm. and then you had... Then we had Annabelle. Annabelle. She's the second one. She I wasn't is the sure. second one, yes. And we had Annabelle in 2002, and then we had Adeline in 2004. So which one is the uh, big show, like, you know... Outspoken, loves attention. That would be Adeline, the youngest. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. Adeline. She's definitely a bright light, um, busy, entertaining. You that's know. often the youngest, yes. I find. Yeah. Um, that's funny. So she probably enjoys all the the focus on the family. She does. Um, she she does. She's the one doing, you know, something will be over here discussing one thing, and she's like, look at me do a cartwheel over okay. here. You know. <laughs> now, how old are they now? Oh, goodness. They are um, 10, 13, and 15. Almost 11. So it's almost 11, 13, and 15, which is easier for me to remember than 10, 13, and 15. But yeah. Well, one of the things that caught my attention, besides the dynamic story and just everything that's happened, is about Annabelle, Mm -hmm. about her illness. Mm -hmm. The, let me get it right, the pseudo- obstruction motility disorder you got it right yes and i had never heard of that and i've talked on the show a lot about different digestive problems that people have had can you tell us a little bit about what that is yes yeah, so in <laughs> pseudo obstruction motility disorder it is where the body doesn't have the ability to um, Annabelle's was nerve related so she didn't have the ability to fire synchronically and when i say fire i mean um, the peristalsis that takes place um, throughout your intestines and, and then kicking the food out of the body. She would misfire, and so she would have f- moments of, of dormancy or paralysis in her intestines. And so um, she just didn't have the ability to move the food from, from the stomach all the way out of the body without issues. And so it would take a very long time to digest anything, um, even something not not difficult to to digest would take her a long time. Um, So things such as, you know, nuggets and French fries or pizza or anything like that was, was not even possible. Um, Sorry. Yeah. It was just not even possible. She just, it it would completely, the pain would just be too much of the body forcing that through. So she was just in incredible pain, like a level 10 pain all the time in her, Life consisted of her either being in a hospital, in a, a specialist's office, or laying on a couch in the fetal position with a heating pad on her tummy. And she was on 10 medications. 
to make her system work um, poorly, really, at best. So what age did you start seeing this problem? Annabelle started having significant distension when she was four. And I would tell the doctors, you know, she's she's getting um, really big and round by the time she goes to bed at night. She's not wanting to eat and drink really well. She starts off starving. She takes a couple of bites and she's full. Um, and they were like, well, it could be, you know, constipation. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, it could be this. And we went through lots of possibilities. But then I, I showed a picture to one of her doctors and he said, okay, that's, that's a whole other ball game. And it was just a picture I took of her after bath one night and she was just hugely um, distended. And does that mean her belly was swollen? Extremely swollen. Her belly was very, very swollen. Yes. Um, so that began the, you need to see a specialist. This is definitely a digestive issue. We need to figure out what's going on. Um, but in between there in trying to figure out what was wrong was when they were doing testing and they had given her bowel prep to clean her out to do a upper GI small bowel fall through with a colonoscopy. And they had to clean her out to do the colonoscopy. And during the clean out process, she completely obstructed abdominally. And um, we thought we were going to lose her. We didn't think she was going to live through it. And they surgically released the obstruction. She had major, major surgery. And nine days later, reobstructed. And then after 21 days in the hospital, we were released to go home, and that really began our journey of what I call in the book chasing a diagnosis. Um, just one doctor after another, after one test after another, to truly get to pseudo-obstruction motility disorder, and then later antral hypomotility disorder. Say that one again. Antral hypomotility disorder. Wow. Okay. It sounds like a long journey. So how many years did you struggle trying to... Because f- it <clears throat> with my daughter... Being diagnosed with Crohn's when she was young, okay? Mm-hmm. It was a long road of finding out what it was mm-hmm. as well. And um, people not taking me seriously <clears throat> or thinking I was like a helicopter mom. And, you know, it was, much, yes. it was very um, frustrating, very. to say the least. And um, just wanted to strangle some of those doctors, <laughs> what can I say? Yes. And, and my daughter got really tired of going, mm-hmm. you know, and just begging me not to have her give blood. Like yes. not any, I, I remember her crying in the chair as they were going to take blood. No, not anymore. No. Anymore. And it was just killer, you mm-hmm. know? And <clears throat> so lots of times when they just want to repeat tests or it was like, wait, she's already had, you right. know? And so I had to learn so much mm-hmm. so that I could protect her in a way. And so it was just, um, when I think of the journey I had, and then I read about your journey mm-hmm. and I'm like, I have such a little bit of, I feel like I know um, some of that. Yes. I can't imagine. Mm -hmm. I cannot imagine. Because you talked about in the book being in the hospital in Boston. Yes. Having to go back and forth to Boston. I also think of the expense. Oh, Because ours was expensive. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, my. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, for you, how many years? Well, it all started when she was four. And then, you know, she was um, her her accident, um, which I know we'll get to later, her, yeah. her tragic accident happened when she was nine. So from four to nine, so she it was five five years of uh, of agony and, and torment for Annabelle and tests and hospitalizations and doctors and specialists and wow, mm-hmm. that was definitely a toll on the family. Mm-hmm. Gastrointestinal disease is so challenging. You know, even as a doctor, you know. I sometimes kind of joke that I'm pretty simplistic because I do, you know, orthopedics and I look at an x-ray and there it's broken and, okay, give me my tools and let's go fix that. And, and trying to 
diagnose what's going on inside of someone's intestines and be able and get to the very root of the problem is incredibly challenging. And, you know, just like what you experienced with your daughter, what we experienced with Annabelle, and there are some that are just, you know, relatively simple things that you can kind of pass off and, oh, they're just, you know, they're constipated, there's this or this. And and then there's there are the few that are have, you know, major underlying issues that are very, very challenging to diagnose. And, um, you know, you kind of touched on it, but there was a, there were a lot of opportunities for, for tough love. And it was very, you know, Annabelle wanted to get better, but she's still, a, you know, a five, six, seven-year-old mm-hmm. kid that just doesn't understand. And she knows she's hurting, and she knows that when she goes to, you know, a hospital setting, that occasionally the hurting is going to have to be more between testing and diagnostics. And, you know, she... We kind of laughed about it when it was all said and done, but her biggest thing was don't let them stick a tube in my nose, mm-hmm. mommy. And, uh, and you know, there were times that literally we had to basically hold her down while they put tubes in her nose. And those are times that are just, uh, you know, you knew that you were helping and you knew that the overall end result was going to be good. But the the moments of walking through those were uh, some very, very challenging times yeah. for, for us as a family. And I can't even imagine for Annabelle as an individual. I mean, kids are incredible. And Annabelle, is, as all our kids are, is just incredibly resilient and, um, and amazing. But there were times that she just, why are you doing this to me, essentially? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those are, you know, she was an amazing patient, um, very good to work with. But she didn't understand it. And we essentially didn't understand. You know, we like we... We don't know exactly what, you know, is going on, but we're doing everything we can to help. And she understood that. But there were definitely numerous times that um, required us to to have some tough love. And those are – and Christy did a great job of spelling them out in um, in the book. And, and they are uh, – they're, they're some of the stuff that I say at times that I just didn't really want to go back and have to revisit mentally um, because they were very challenging. Yes. I think that um, people who have problems like that with their children mm-hmm. or even their loved one, they know what that feels like. And so mm-hmm. this is a good time to take a break. Okay. When we come back, we want to talk about what happened with Annabelle and just the just the whole family, what you guys have been through, um, yeah. that you actually describe in your book, Miracles from Heaven. And the movie will be out. They had the trailer. When's it actually come out? The movie comes out March 18th. Easter. Yes, Time for Easter. Easter release. Yeah. Easter is, yes. but it sounds Eastery. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's actually um, the Friday before Good Friday. Friday before. And they start the trailer so early. Yeah, they started so it crazy. today. <laughs> it was so exciting. <laughs> exciting. Okay, we'll be right back. You guys stay here. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Life Solutions Coaching and Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas is a full-service wellness clinic providing individual, group, and family counseling, one-on-one coaching for life and wellness, and naturopathic treatments of medical massage therapy combined with essential oils to ensure you reach your health and wellness goals. Sessions are available in person or by phone. Get started on your new life today. Just call 817-232-1363 or go to lifesolutionscoachingandcounseling.com or email them at lifesolutions.com cc at yahoo.com 
Sunshine Herbs in Saginaw, Texas, on Main Street, Business 287, has all of your supplement needs and healthy food products. So, my suggestion for you, visit, visit Sunshine Herbs today and let their knowledgeable staff who know all their products and their naturopathic doctor lead you to a life of health and wellness so that you too can live well. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Living Well with Ann Beal. We'd love to hear from you with comments and questions about the show. Please send us an email to ablivingwell at gmail.com. That's ablivingwell at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm Ann Beal, and I am here with Christy and Kevin Beam. Um, We're talking about their book, Miracles from Heaven, and the trailer came out for the movie today. The movie is called Miracles from Heaven, and it actually comes out March 18th. And so catch the trailer, go to the movie, read the book. And it is uh, Miracles from Heaven by Christy Beam about their daughter, Annabelle, and their family through an incredible um, illness and a miracle after an accident. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it is a wonderful story. And so we're in their home here in Cleburne, right on the edge of Burleson, Texas. And um, they were just getting into her daughter's illness. Um, Annabelle had... Well, I thought it was pseudo-obstruction and motility disorder, which yes. it was in the beginning. And yes. then they got a new name for it. Mm-hmm. Is that a more severe illness? It's just different. What's it called? Antral hypomotility disorder. Antral hypomotility mm-hmm. disorder. I got it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. And she actually had both, right? It wasn't Correct. one or the other. It oh, was there's two. Yeah. She, she, yes. She had the pseudo-obstruction and then later the antral hypomotility was diagnosed. And that, that more had to do with the, the stomach not having the ability to suck the food down into the intestines and, you know, do the peristalsis. So it was not only her intestines that weren't working, her stomach as a muscle was weak and floppy and wasn't working. So she was, the year before she fell, Mm -hmm. she was in and out of the hospital nine times for actual hospital stays. We're not talking emergency room visits. We're talking hospital stays. Correct. In Boston. Not all in Boston. Not all in Boston. Some were um, in Austin, Austin, and some were here, and some were in Boston. Um, they were all over. Um, and numerous times were we in Boston, but those were typically we would fly in and do a check-in and a check-up, and then we would fly out the next day. So, And that's, again, because of those specialists that yes. were in different places. And the medicine that you had her on, mm-hmm. which is in the book, was yes. the doctor in Boston. Correct. He actually used that medicine. Yes. Right. And there were only a few doctors <clears throat> that did that. Absolutely. And so that was, so you knew it was severe. Yes. And I, um, one of the things when I was watching different TV shows you've visited, Today Show, all the worldwide media tour you've been on, the whirlwind, um, they don't really go in too much. They just have you kind of tell what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, you said the 700 Club went in more detail. They did. And the Today Show did another one that mm-hmm. was much more involved. Mm-hmm. Because to just say motility disorder, and then they all say, I've never heard of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, people need to know what that is. Yes. Um, 
And I, I guess my question for you when we were talking about it is, did she ever find any relief? Sometimes once we were hospitalized and they would put her in PO, which means nothing to eat or drink, and they just did IV fluids and her intestines rested, then after a day or two of absolutely nothing, nothing putting any stress on the intestines, she would go down to about a pain level of three, um, but she rarely ever got to zero pain. Mm. Um, so her pain would get to a three and sometimes a two maybe, but she pretty much hovered when she was her no pain was hovering at a two or a three, you know, like that was, that was a good day. Um, and, but typically she hovered between eight and 10, um, daily. And most people with chronic pain, mm-hmm. they hover at three or four mm-hmm. and they don't, it's just an ongoing pain, you know, chronic. Yes. Um, and they can get severe at times, but the, the chronic pretty much stays around three or four. Mm-hmm. So this is a little girl, um, having constant pain. Correct. So she never really had any real relief. I mean, it's better to be at a three. That probably was very relieving for her. Yes. And, you know, she was on 10 medications to make her system work, but none of them gave her relief. They all just worked together to help her system work as best as they could help it to work. But none of them was like, oh, can I have my medicine that I get it? every four hours to stop the pain, like because narcotics and things like that, that would truly dull and numb the pain would slow down the GI tract. So she couldn't really take anything that would actually add relief. Wow. Yeah. And she, you know, it was, it was so struggling too, because or challenging for her because, uh, you know, there's so much of a social component to eating and, you know, she would, go and want to go to a birthday party and be with a friend and, you know, or, or even just us sitting here around the dining room table. And it's, you know, we're trying to have a, a family time and be able to hang out and, and talk. And, right. and she would numerous times just kind of excuse herself and say, well, I, um, I think I'm just going to, going to go up and go to bed, you know? And, and unfortunately she never was, it wasn't that she wasn't hungry. She just knew the association between if I put food in my mouth, my pain level increases and so it was a it was a challenge for her in a lot of different ways because she um, she wouldn't be in as much pain until she would eat, but she knew she needed to eat and she was hungry. So you know, part of her wanted to eat, and they were um, you know, nighttime seemed to be the worst because it would be kind of the end of the day and she'd have a lot of food maybe that she had been able to ingest over the day and it just wasn't moving and it was sitting there and causing the distension, causing various problems and pain, and so. There were a lot of times that literally we would just have to kind of put her to bed and she, you know, say, mommy or daddy, I'm, you know, I'm really hurting. And there really wasn't an answer. It was just like, you know, we know, baby. And, uh, you know, why don't you just try and go to sleep? And, and maybe when you wake up in the morning, you'll feel a little better. And, you know, as a person who kind of commits your life to trying to help heal and fix things to uh, have that be about the only empty promise you can make to your daughter that's sitting there hurting was uh was really really wearing on the family and challenging and um I think she handled it way better than mm-hmm. than I did you know she was very um uh, I don't even know the best way to describe it but she handled things with just such amazing grace mm-hmm. and um would just kind of say it's okay you know and I'd be like I'm sorry that we can't make the pain go away and she's like it's okay daddy you know and uh so she she was, she is, um, all of them are just absolutely amazing. But it was, there was never a time she wasn't hurting. Um, and very rarely was there a time that she wasn't kind of hungry. So it was always that balance between, I want to eat, 
I know I need to eat. Maybe everybody around me is eating. Um, but as soon as I take this food in, I'm going to be in pain. So how bad do I really want to eat? And was she weak? Because the mm-hmm. day that she went out to play where she got hurt, she had just gotten back from Boston. Mm-hmm. And was she not feeling very well or weak? Or, yeah. She was. She was. Um, she spent most of the day on the, the couch in, in her standard fetal position with a heating pad and was watching Disney Channel, and she, and she was weak. Um, uh, Annabelle was struggling mentally at that point. She was um, struggling, struggling physically and um, emotionally. She was just kind of tired of hurting all the time and never getting relief. Which you can understand, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. She was getting depressed. Yes, and she was weak. She she didn't get a lot of nutrition to help her be healthy and strong. But she had two sisters that always wanted her to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a very um, persistent older sister um, who is so wonderful with, um, you know, our whole family made it very important that Annabelle was not defined by her illness. That wasn't who she was. And so I feel like Abby carried that out and acted that out the best of everybody because um, even though Annabelle may not have been able to do things as well as the other two girls, Abby still was insistent upon the idea that she could at least try. So she did that day. She did that day. She climbed trees with her sisters, and that's their favorite. Annabelle's favorite thing to do is climb. She's They're all little monkeys, and Annabelle is just an amazing climber. And so um, that day, they were climbing trees, and they insisted that she come go with them. And so she did. And that was a pretty high tree. You know, yes. when you just read it and it says 30 feet up, right, I, I tried to picture limbs hanging down that they were able to crawl up in. They didn't just shimmy up 30 feet. Yeah, but they went up high. They weren't as afraid as you would think a lot of kids that age would be. And my, I had four brothers. And so I'm thinking, oh, God, the whole story, I, I just can picture that like we you know they jump on trains that were moving and I was the little one they just mom would go take Annie and they would just try to talk me into doing anything and it's crazy some of the stuff we did my mom would have a heart attack um and so I could see because I'm thinking 30 feet mm-hmm. you know that's high mm-hmm. um and so they were playing in the tree so why don't you tell this story so they were outside climbing trees and this tree is is a monster. I don't know how tall it actually is. I mean, it's a monster tree. But they had managed to, there were no lower limbs to use to climb up the tree. So they had used the stability of neighboring trees around it, little Uh saplings, and they put their back against the baby trees and their feet against the trunk of the massive tree, and they wiggled up like caterpillars until they got um, to this one branch that was stretched out, and they got up to that branch, and they they were sitting on that branch, just Abby and Annabelle, because Adeline was too little to climb. She was not quite capable of making that climb. And they were just talking. And, you know, I say this all the time that I wish that I could have been that little bird. Um, what what did they talk about? And still today, I don't know what they talked about. But what were those sweet sisters sharing? You know, Up in that tree. Up in that tree. Because what we had just gone through in Boston was horrific. And what were they saying? But then the, that branch that they were on began to give way. And so Abby, and she is so brilliant, she had a plan, immediately devised a plan and said, Annabelle, there's, there's a hole right there where a previous branch had been and broke off and had fallen. And so it left a hole. And she said, Annabelle, go get in that hole 
and I'll get, and then you'll get your weight off this branch. I will get down and then you come out and I'll help you down. Cause she was too weak to get down by herself. And it was a brilliant plan. We just didn't know that that hole dropped and Annabelle went in the hole head first and she fell 30 feet head first and was trapped in the base of this hollowed out cottonwood tree. Which I didn't even know that's possible. And I think that, I, yeah. I don't think I had no idea. I've been out in trees and raging the country and everything my whole life, and I had no idea that a tree would would truly hollow out like that. It was like basically looking down into a well, but you're way up inside of this tree, and uh, the tree has since fallen over. It was it's probably a ninety hundred year old cottonwood tree, um, just a massive tree, but it had already lost one limb. And then not very long after the, um, the incident that happened here, that limb that they were sitting on fully broke and fell. Um, and then the tree itself, probably about two years after this happened, the entire tree, um, blew over. And so it was a, a tree that was at the very end of its life, um, cycle. And the limb that had fallen had left a portal in there that, opened up into a completely like a huge pipe or a huge well. And, uh, you know, I've commented numerous times being out in the country climbing trees and all how there wasn't, uh, you know, bees in there or fire ants down in the base. You know, we were in Texas where everything kind of bites and stings you, you know. And so yeah. um, how out here on this property that we have, there was a, a tree that was, as opposed to something that was out to harm her, was actually there to, help protect her and, and um, ended up some pretty amazing and miraculous things happened in that tree. But just the fact that the, the mere fact that she wasn't injured falling in the tree and that there wasn't a family of raccoons in the bottom of it or, you know, anything like that, that could have just completely changed the whole complexity of her rescue. Um, now she fell <clears throat> 30 feet head first. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and was unconscious for a while, right? Correct. Um, inside the tree. Inside the tree. So what is the diameter of the tree around? Do you have any idea? Mm. Like how much space was actually in there? There was, I could have gotten into there, but I wouldn't have been able to turn around. So I would say maybe a three and a half to four feet diameter on the inside. She was, um, I actually climbed up and looked down inside and saw her. And she was laying on her right side, kind of in a fetal position, and there was room all the way, dirt all the way around her. So her feet and her head would have been kind of touching the wood, um, but there was room on either side of her. So it was pretty close to a full circle, probably four and a half feet diameter or so. So a pretty good amount of room. But we were, when we were discussing trying to go down and, and potentially someone go down and get there, there was no no one who was small enough to go down inside of there and have room enough to reach down and get her anything. And, and <clears throat> literally, she should have died. Yes. And so she was unconscious for a while. Yes. Um, and then when he said portal, I thought, it actually kind of was. Really? <laughs> it was. So what happened? It absolutely was. Well, Annabelle was in the tree about five hours is, is what we estimate. They It took the firefighters about three hours to get her out. Because she was non-responsive, once Annabelle became responsive, she assisted in her own rescue. Um, She was amazing, and um, the firefighters were amazing. Um, We... They got her out, strapped her to a board, care flighted her and I um, to to the hospital. Um, And Annabelle, they they were prepping me, saying, you know, we've never had a child fall 30 feet headfirst and not suffer paralysis or broken bones. Um, She walked away 
without a bug bite, without, I mean, she had, she was wet, muddy, scratches, and had a few bruises, but that was it in a minor concussion. But they didn't know that, did they, until they ran all the tests? Correct. <clears throat> Amazing. They did not know that. Um, the next day, we were um, traveling down the road in the truck, and we are just kind of all in shock because of what had happened. And um, in the book, we go into detail about what had been going on in Boston right before this. And then what we had just endured with the trauma of the tree and Annabelle. I think the whole family is just kind of in shock, really. Yeah. And Annabelle turns to me just out of the blue. And she says, um, you know, Mommy, I went to heaven when I was in that tree. And I just looked at her. Um, and I just said, really? I, you know, what do you say? Yeah, what, I would have said do that you say? Thing. Really? And she said, yes. And um, I sat on Jesus' lap, and he told me that it wasn't my time. And I told him I wanted to stay, Mommy, because there's no pain in heaven. And for her, that would mm. be definitely a relief. Oh. And she said, but he told me that it wasn't my time and that he had plans for me on earth that I could not fulfill in heaven. And that when the firefighter got me out, there would be nothing wrong with me. And I was thinking, you know, short term, in a box. I, I, and I said, you know, Annabelle, God is so good. There was nothing wrong with you. You fell. You had such a tragic accident. And look, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. But that's not what she meant. Right. And I think that you weren't sure about that, right? Mm-hmm. What kind of healing? Like, what did it mean? And that would be, if you could have just asked God. Oh, I have a couple questions. Right. Um, but for, like, how old was she when she fell? So Annabelle would have been nine years old. That's it was in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so even those words for a nine-year-old, right? And it's, like, oh. startling. Like, I can yeah. see my daughter at nine saying something like that. I would have just been, what? What? <laughs> well, and there's some great detail in the book about other things she shared with me. And I, I remember just being, ast- I just sat there astounded with my mouth open thinking, how is this coming out of your body? How do you say, how does your mind even know to say these words? I mean, mm-hmm. it just amazing. That made it more believable. Yes. I would think for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but still it would weigh on you. Like, what is mm-hmm. this? You know, Lord, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that um, especially how wonderful it would be and how much you guys would all really love for her to be, you know, at that moment to think, well, that would be like the greatest blessing of nothing really. If everything was truly gone, yes. Um, you know, that would, you know, if he's going to protect her, it would be mm-hmm. like the utmost of miracles for yes. him to do that. Right? Yes. And so how long before you realized she really was healed? Well, um, it took us a while. <laughs> it did. Um, but, you know, right away, Annabelle was was busy and happy and playing and active and Rarely complain, yes, and rarely complaining about pain. And I would realize it had been a few hours, and and the medicine that she got every four hours around the clock, I would realize had gone five or six hours. And I would be like, "Oh, Annabelle, we got to get your medicine," or you know, she hasn't asked me for um, pain medicine, or you know, which what we gave her didn't really help, but still, it helped her psychologically feel like we were doing something. but anyway, uh, it became time. It had been a couple of weeks, and it was time to give her one of her powerful medications. 
And it was one of the antibiotics that she rotated on and off. And it was really, really strong antibiotic. And I remember calling the doctor and speaking to the nurse and telling her, look, Annabelle doesn't have any of these symptoms that she has when she needs this antibiotic. I hate to give it to her. And the nurse said, well, she may not be showing them today, but it may be tomorrow or the next day. But if you want to hold off a couple of days, it's okay. I never gave her that medication ever again. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. And I'm glad yeah. you did that. I'm glad you knew to do that. I yeah. guess God probably led you to do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. To, and, and you were sensitive to her words. Because mm-hmm. so many kids and people, yeah. right? Um, I would say kids and elderly will say that a lot, mm-hmm. that they are not taken very seriously. Yes. And mm-hmm. so... It's good that you did that. Mm-hmm. And so how long before all 10 were gone? Oh, um, goodness. Maybe, I don't even... It would have been at least two, if not three months, probably. Yes, yeah, so it took a while because of the 10 she were on. Some were major, major, powerful, powerful um, medications. And so she had to be weaned off of them. And so it took um, a, a while to wean her off all of the medications but, um, you know, I think she's been completely off all of them for maybe two years now. I can't even, it's terrible. You would think that would be ingrained in your brain. Almost full three years. Yeah. I think, okay. Because we're coming, I mean, we're within a month or month and a half of when she fell. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that is a very big difference than not a single day without relief. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that is part of what would motivate you and really drive you. I mean, all of it to want to write it down. Yes. And I, and I think that. You know, um, when you think of the healing when God does something like that, um, the joy that you feel makes you want to tell it. Yes. You know, there are a few times in the Bible, in the New Testament, when Jesus would heal people, just a couple of times when he'd tell them not to tell mm-hmm. anyone. And I know that that didn't happen, right? <laughs> right. I mean, how, okay, you can yeah. see now, but don't go tell anyone. Don't tell right. And so, you know. I mean, I'm, they were, some people say it's because he was afraid they, well, he knew that they would try to kill him because of it or whatever. But I always thought, yeah, I'm not blind now and yeah. I can see, but I'm not going to tell you why. Right. I'm just healed. Right. Right. And so yeah. it, it's, it's not human. I mean, it's human to want to just say it out loud. Yes. And then because of the immensity of the story, people would be like, what? what? And so you would want to explain it all. Yes. And because of her severity of her illness, which I wanted to take time to yeah. talk about that, that it, it is truly, I mean, a day without pain or yes. joy or playing and energy and bravery and just seeing your child, which every parent wants that for their children, mm-hmm. um, that would definitely bring you such joy you would want to tell everyone. Yes. And in your town, right, yes. especially, right? Oh, yes. it's, it's And the story... I mean, the story is a story that just almost has to be told, and Christy's done such an amazing job to do that. But there, there was numerous times that we would tell people even an abbreviated five-minute version of what happened, and, and it was just, wow. what? I, I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and as opposed to, okay, you know, they would just want more details and more details and more details. So it was a, you know, there was so many people that encouraged her along the way and said, you've got to share this story. I mean, this is... This is too beautiful and too amazing to keep to yourself. And, and that's one of the things that, like I said, is I'm so proud of her to just be like, to take to take that role and just to say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to let everybody in on what our family went through, the good, the bad, the ugly, mm-hmm. the hard, and and share. Because at the end, I mean, God's glory has been all over that little girl and being able to share that and, and then the 
the positive feedback she's had from people saying just you telling your story and you telling Annabelle's story and your whole family's story of what y'all went through in such an honest and raw way has just absolutely changed our lives. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. There's, you know, people that don't feel God still does miracles in today's day and age. And, you know, there's things you can question about the Anna story, but the fact that she is, you know, 100% healed now going on almost three years after this happened, something amazing and beautiful happened to her. And we are so thankful. Well, and that, uh, that word, that is awesome. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much. Thank Both you. of you for letting us in your home yeah. and sharing the Living Well audience with your story. And everyone, go see the movie on March 18th. <laughs> yes. And read the book. And read the book. Miracles, Miracles from, from Heaven at Barnes & Noble, right. or you can order it at Amazon.com. Thank you, yeah. and we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, live well. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us. Living Well with Ann Beal airs live every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.